We were on numbers 11 as we closed last night. Tonight we want to go at least through what we had left in numbers 11 and numbers 12. Maybe, possibly get into a little bit of numbers 13. But, in numbers chapter 11, we saw two complaints. One is by the people at large, and one is by Moses in particular. And actually, the first complaint is the people want meat to eat. And they're tired of this manna. They long for Egypt. And when Moses hears this complaint, he is displeased. And he just says, Lord, I can't bear the burden of the people all by myself. The reason we put Moses' complaint on top is because I felt like we talked about it more thoroughly last time. God said he's going to take of his spirit. He says, gather the 70 elders to the place of meeting and I'll take of your spirit. I'll put it upon them. And he does this. And these 70 prophesy. And then also there are two men, Eldad and Medad, who prophesy in the camp, who don't come to the tent of meeting, and who apparently are not of the 70 gathered. And and so they prophesy. And some think they should stop them. But Moses said, I wish that all God's people were prophets. And he would put his spirit on each one. The people are complaining of manna. Now let's go back and look at the verses. We we, we looked at verses 4 through 9. But let's look at verses 18 through 23. 18 through 23. Say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord saying, Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat. For we were well off in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying why did we ever leave Egypt but Moses said the people among whom I am are 600,000 on foot yet you have said I will give them meat in order that they may eat for a whole month should flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to be sufficient for them Or should all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to be sufficient for them? The Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true or not. So in verse 18, God tells Moses, You tell the people you consecrate yourselves. They did that in Exodus 19. It involved washing their clothes, abstaining from sexual relations. What all is involved here? Uh, We're not sure, but consecrate yourselves for tomorrow you will eat meat. He calls attention to their weeping. He talks about how they complained about being so well off in Egypt. And he says, I'm going to give you meat for a month until you are sick of it. Because you have rejected the Lord. Remember later in Israel's history, they are said to reject the Lord by asking for a king in 1 Samuel 8. 
1 Samuel 10. They were trusting in what is seen, the king, versus the God who is unseen. The God who had delivered them at every crisis, from every crisis. Now they are rejecting the Lord by rejecting the gifts that He gives, being unthankful, ungrateful for those. You have rejected the Lord who is among you. And you've wept and said, why did we ever leave Egypt? Again, Egypt is going to be held out through this section as we demonstrated on the board Sunday with several verses as kind of a promised land. What happens next is another picture of Moses in this chapter not being at his best. That's a kind way to say it. But... God, how are you going to provide for all these people in the wilderness? 600,000 of them. Should we catch all the fish in the sea? Should should all their flocks and herds be scattered? Is Moses doubting the power of God? God's answer is, is the Lord's power limited? Is the Lord's power limited? First of all, I want to tell you something that struck me that I don't remember hitting me like this before. But but as I was reading these verses the other day, uh, this people are 600,000. How are you going to provide all this food for this people? Do you remember when Elisha in 2 Kings 6 and 7, there's a great famine, and Elisha said this time tomorrow that, that barley and wheat would be sold at near normal prices? In 2 Kings 7, verses 1 and 2, and one of the attendants on whose arm the king leans says, If the Lord should open the windows of heaven, how can this be? And as a result of his unbelief, he was trampled and dies before he ever eats of those blessings that God has provided for the people. Moses sounds like him. God, how are you going to provide for all this people? How are you going to provide for this multitude? And the question is, is the Lord's power limited? Is the Lord's power limited? He is asking this question... To Moses. God in the Bible often affirms or asks questions to emphasize that nothing is too difficult for Him. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? You see the same kind of idea in Jeremiah 32 in verse 27 and in Zechariah 8 verse 6 and then in Luke 1 37. Now, I have compiled those passages before. And I've thought about how each of them stress that God's power is unlimited. But I'll tell you something that hit me today. And looking at this, God says this to Moses. He says this to Abraham and Sarah. He says this to Jeremiah. Now, this is something Zacharias to preach to all the people. But then he says this to Mary. In other words, God's greatest servants need to be reminded sometimes that nothing is too great for God. God's greatest servants need to be reminded of that. So, here Moses is asked, is the Lord's power limited? Moses, what are you doing questioning me? 
Now who will gather whether, now you will see whether my word will come true or not. Now, the question, is the Lord's power limited, actually means something like, is His hand shortened? And I have in my Bible cross-references to Isaiah 50, verse 2, and 59, verse 1. Both from the book of Isaiah. And uh, is the Lord's hand short that it cannot save? You remember quoting, hearing preachers quote that? Isaiah 59, 1. Is the Lord's hand short that it cannot save? Is His ear heavy that it cannot hear? But your sins have separated between you and your God. The problem is not God's power. The problem is man's sin. That's what's being stressed in those passages. God is still able and powerful to save. And God is saying, I'm going to feed this multitude of people. I'm going to feed them with me for an entire month. And they're going to be sick of it. And they get what they pray for. As as Mary was talking about before, in in verse 31... There went forth a wind, and as we pointed out Sunday, the word wind in verse 31 is the same word spirit in verse 17, verse 25, verse 26, and 29. The Lord brought forth a wind, and it brought the quail from the sea, and they fell around the camp. And so they go and gather the the quail, and apparently just a multitude of quail are gathered in this particular situation. And the meat is still between their teeth, and the anger of the Lord is kindled against the people, and they are struck with a very severe plague, and they die. And they named that place Kibroth, Hatava, because there they buried the people who had been greedy. From Kibroth Hatava, the people set out for Hazaroth, and they remained. They remained at Hazaroth. Now, so God said He was going to send quail. God does send quail. A wind blows all the quail into the camp. And um, I had something in my notes, let's see, that, that, that the quail migrate a couple of times a year from some of the African to Asian nations. And that during this time, in the early 1900s, there is a record of a case where those who were living in the wilderness of Sinai caught between one and two million quail so the point is this is a phenomenon that often happens in that region that quail I'm not saying there's not a miracle involved I'm not dispelling God's hand I'm simply saying that that kind of thing still goes on in that part of the world so quail often become weak in migrating and and they're easy to catch often in nets by the people maybe that is part of the process described uh, it sounds like they're almost just falling down and they're right on the ground but they're easily caught and people are getting a large supply 
Uh, he who gathers the least gather ten homers, the text says. But this blessing is also a judgment. This blessing is a judgment. For while the meat was between their teeth, the anger of the Lord was kindled and He struck some of the people dead. They are ungrateful and unthankful for all God had done for them. And because they're ungrateful and unthankful, they experience the consequences. How many? Who? Don't know all the answers. It's kind of like Exodus 32 and some um, drink the water and they die. But but we see that some die because of it. Yes. Katrina. Okay. I was just trying to think of other instances where because like God tells Moses you ask for it, I'm going to give it to you get ready to eat it and when they eat it God strikes them dead and they're really counterintuitive Is there, are there other like you said the water um, mm-hmm. are there other examples of when God says I'm going to bless you and then when he does it he ends up of course, God knows who who is faithful and who is grateful and who isn't. And apparently, as this story goes on, apparently not everybody that ate the quail died. Uh, I take it, but but some do. And in, just like in that case in Exodus thirty-two, I mentioned Moses says, "Whoever is on my side, whoever's on the Lord's side, follow me." The Levites come to him. The Levites go throughout the camp killing the people. But they apparently don't kill them just indiscriminately. I mean, they're not just going through killing whoever they meet. They're killing particularly those that are guilty. I believe the text says that 3,000 died back in Exodus 32, verses 25 through 29, if y'all want to check that. I believe it says 3,000 died. Now, how many on this occasion? We are not sure. We, we, we don't know. I want to tell you something that will help this whole thing stick with you. Um, I hope. Kibroth, Kibroth Hatava is a transliterated term. It's not translated. It's transliterated. Do you know transliterated means you simply take the Hebrew equivalents and, um, you you give the English the Hebrew letters and give the English equivalents. And there's the word Kibroth. And it says they named the place Kibroth Hatava. Now, <clears throat> my spelling in English probably doesn't encourage you with confidence in my spelling in Hebrew. And uh, But... The term, they named it Kibroth Hatava because there they buried the people. Now, if I have written that well enough, you can see, and this is a feminine plural term. It means like graves of greed. But the first three letters of Kibroth are the same three letters of buried. And Hatava is the word that is in the text greedy. 
in verse 34, verse 4, and verse 34. And so the name of the place is given to it because of this incident here. They're graves of greediness. Uh, This is where the people have craved or desired this meat and they have been struck dead as a result of it. So if you just remember the, the, the name, it's hard to remember what happens in what place in the wilderness. But if you remember that this name actually indicates what happened, that may help you. Kibrath Atava is mentioned in Deuteronomy 9 verse 22. Now, the other place in the Bible this event is mentioned. And it is used as evidence that Israel is not getting the land because they are so good, they are getting the land in spite of their sin. God is being gracious to them. And He uses Kibroth Hatava as an illustration of their sinfulness. Yes, Sarah. So, I was wondering if... While the meat was still between their teeth, it, does the word meat or flesh there have an indication that they hadn't cooked it? Could that also be a thing going on? It is, it is not inherently. It, it, it just it is a word flesh. Um, it, it does not state whether they cooked it or not. I know some people speculate that. Yeah. And I do not know. I am no expert on quail preparation. I, I have been told that there's ways you can salt the meat and preserve it. Of course, we're dealing in days, you know, without refrigeration. They have to do things yeah. like that and to be intelligent about how to do it. I don't think this is necessarily happening this instantaneously, though, because of some health problem. Uh, it is because the Lord has struck them. I didn't know if it was like way. they were eating the meat with the blood still in it. Kind of I understand. And, and you refer to 1 Samuel 14 where the people did that in the days of Saul. Uh, 1 Samuel 14 around verse 34. So, but but um, I, I, there's no, that doesn't seem to be what's the essence of the account. But, but that's a good question. Anything else there? I wanted to mention to you a couple of places where this whole scene about the food in the wilderness is mentioned again in the Old Testament. Um, And here are... It's mentioned in Psalm 78. It starts around verse 17 and goes to about verse 30. Now that's that's, that's a little bit of a... I may have overshot the ending a little bit. Psalm 105 verse 40 mentions it. And Psalm 106 verses 13 through 15 mention it. But let's look at Psalm 78 just a second. As you're turning to Psalm 78, I'll tell you this. All three of these Psalms that I've mentioned, 78, 105, 106, are all historical Psalms. They relate the history of Israel. And there are always two main points in these Psalms. The point, first, most important point is the goodness of God. God has blessed Israel every step of the way. The second point is the sinfulness of man. The sinfulness of Israel. And God's goodness looks better against Israel's sinfulness. And Israel's sinfulness looks darker against God's mercy and God's kindness. Um, Notice in verse 19. 
Verse 19 of Psalm 78. They spoke against God and they said, Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? In verse 21, Therefore the Lord heard and was full of wrath, and a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger was mounted against Israel, because they did not believe in God and did not trust in His salvation. Yet He commanded the clouds above, He opened the doors of heaven, He rained down manna upon them to eat, He gave them food from heaven, men did not eat the bread of angels, He sent them in abundance. Why would it be called the bread of angels? Okay, it comes from the sky, yes. I think part of it's just that, and I think part of it is to show how out of place their complaint is about. Hey, they are given the food of the angels. Now, I'm not literally saying that's what the angels eat. I don't know if angels eat. They don't get married, we find out in Matthew uh, 22 and Luke 20. So they may not eat either. But it's a way to say this is, or like they would say in Greek mythology, this is the food of the gods. You know, this is this is the best you can get. He rains down manna on them, but still they're not satisfied. And in verse 26, he calls the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he directed the south wind when he rained meat upon them. Just like he rained down the manna in verse 24, he rains down meat in verse 27. In verse 27, even winged fowl like the sand of the sea. But then in verse 31, apparently I didn't go far enough up here. Verse 31, the anger of the Lord rose against them and killed some of their stoutest ones and subdued the choice men of Israel. So Katrina, that doesn't do any better at giving us a number, but it does tell us among those who were struck dead were some of the young, strong, choice men in the land. But I want to tell you too, even here, even here, I mean, that's all we read, and you might think, well, God is, is, is really harsh to the people. Just let me encourage you to read 34 through 39. And to look at its emphasis on God's mercy and God's compassion. But go ahead, Katrina. Well, you were just saying, you know, it's, it's not about God's not being powerful enough, but our sin separating us from Him. Yeah. If, you, if you think about what these people, these specific people, have already seen God do. Oh, yeah. It's obviously not the lack of power that they've seen that is preventing them from trusting God. One of the things about him sending manna, he sends manna the first place. This, this was in Exodus sixteen six. I think it's around verse 12 or 14, one of those two, that he says he's going to send the manna. And he says, you shall know I am the Lord. I want to tell you what's striking me about that. Is so many of the plagues state that. You shall know I am the Lord. And often that word, those words are addressed to Pharaoh. Pharaoh needs to know who the real God is. That this God is powerful. That this God is mighty. But Israel needs to know that too. And Israel saw all those plagues 
And now Israel's having the added benefit of the manna. Think about that. Six days a week. I know it's pretty tiresome eating the same thing all the time. But you wake up six days a week and your food's just sitting out there ready to go. All you got to do is go gather it. And the seventh day, you simply keep things over the sixth day. Hey, God is being good to the people. And God is every day. Hey, sometimes what we see all the time, we take for granted. Sometimes that we can come together with Christians on Wednesday night, you take for granted. Go overseas and try to get together a service on Wednesday night. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Or any time in the week. And it makes you more appreciative of what we have. But, but yes, you're right. They saw His power. They saw His power, Ryan. Should we, you know, when we think about the manna and contrasting this, it's said that some gathered a lot, some gathered a little, but no one had lack. It seems like here, yeah. everybody's gathering as much as they can, and it fits in with this idea of them doubting the goodness of God and the ability of God. So we got to gather all that we can now. we got to right, strike while the iron's hot because yeah. we're doubting that God's going to be able to continue to bless. Okay. Well, it may be, it may be, it may be that they were told to gather as much as they can because that manna's not going to come every day like the, the, or the quail's not going to come every day like the manna did. Uh, so I, I don't know, but, but, but you're right that maybe because the term greedy is used a couple of times. So that there may be something to what you're saying. Uh, that may be a good point. Now, when we go to Numbers 12, there are going to be all kinds of connections between Numbers 12 and Numbers 11. The Lord speaking, or somebody speaking against another. The Lord hearing it. God's anger burning. Uh, there are like seven uh, parallels I had between Numbers 11 and Numbers 12. And I'll try to get that to you all. But, but listen to, to Numbers 12, 1 and 2. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman, a Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Okay. The Bible says here, Miriam and Aaron. What are reasons that you would think that Miriam is the leader in this particular complaint? What might be reasons to think that? She's mentioned first, okay? Miriam is mentioned first. Is that a big deal? We'll look at verse 5 where Aaron and Miriam are mentioned together, and it is in that order. It's Aaron and, Aaron and Miriam. Here, it's Miriam and Aaron. Now, what else is there in the text? She's the one that's struck. She is struck with leprosy. There's also something else. Hebrew verbs are... They're not gender. Uh, they're not gender neutral. They are either masculine or feminine. The Hebrew verb that's used in Numbers 12 verse 1, the verb 
is feminine singular. Feminine singular. Now, that again just highlights the fact Miriam is the leader in this particular complaint. This is not just a petty family quarrel. This is uh, pretty significant because Miriam is described as a prophetess in Exodus chapter 15 verse 20. Aaron, of course, as you know, is the high priest. And we have seen a great deal about his appointment in uh, Exodus 28-29, how he and his sons were to be ordained. That was carried out in Leviticus 8 and 9. So you have the high priest and you have a prophetess complaining against Moses. And they complained, it says, because of his Cushite wife. Now, who is Moses' wife? What's her name? Zipporah. What nationality has she been associated with to this point? Midian. So there's debate. Is this Zipporah that's being talked about? Is this another wife? Uh, one commentary that I paid big, big money for because it's a pretty elite commentary. And it says there are two possibilities right here. This could be Zipporah or it could be someone else. And I'm thinking, man, I'm so glad I spent my money on this commentary. That's so much insight. It could be Zipporah or someone else. And um, But the terms cushion... And Midian seem to be used interchangeably in Habakkuk 3.7. Now, I'm not going to dwell on that though. I'm going to just give you possibilities. It, it could be Zipporah. It could be somebody else. I'll give you those possibilities. Because I don't even think that's their main complaint. And you know how it is. It's a person told me that he was in pharmaceutical sales. And he says, if, if things are going pretty well, they can overlook a whole lot. He said, if something goes wrong, everything you've ever done wrong at that company is going to be brought up. And you can probably relate to that in your job. And they're not bringing this up because this is the main issue. The main issue is in verse 2. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Has He not spoken to us as well? His own sister and brother are envious of Him. In His position. The Lord hasn't just spoken to you. The Lord's spoken to us as well. I want you just to go back. Well, just the Lord said to Moses. When you get to your daily Bible reading in Numbers, you just look at how many times... That has been said in numbers to this point. It is averaged at least two to three times a chapter. Now, who's initiating that? Moses or the Lord? That's the Lord's prerogative, isn't it? But but let's get serious about this just a second. Any human organization or group, there is a problem with jealousy. Any group. Now, 
I have thought about this a little bit, and I do. I'm not wanting to cut off this tape, but I'm not wanting to say this in case the wrong person heard. So I'm going to write this on the board, and I don't know if this will be anything that you're familiar with, but I had a neighbor who told us about this situation. Have you seen the commercials for those groups? You've seen the commercial for this group. Do you know who I am talking about when I talk about those two people who often appear in the commercials? <coughs> if you don't, that's fine. But when I'm exercising and watching shows like Little House on the Prairie when I'm exercising, they, their commercials run quite a bit on that. Now these are two people who are cared for by this organization. And we had a neighbor who was in the same room. He, it was a big get-together for the group. Same room. He said there's a lot of animosity and hostility between these two people. Because he had been the main spokesman for so long and now it's taken over by somebody else. You see the commercials, and there's not a hint of that. They look like they get along perfectly. But that's not the case, he said, in real life. I'm not mentioning that because I'm gloating over it. I'm mentioning that to show us in any kind of situation like that. It's going to be true in this church. It's going to be true at your work. It's going to be true at anything that people do. There's going to be some kind of jealousy or envy involved. But what does God say in this case? And that's going to be a big problem in the wilderness. What does God say in this case? In verse 3, the Lord, now the, the man Moses was very humble more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, You three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam when they both came forward. He said, Hear now my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak to him in a dream. No, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings, for he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So, what you see here is Moses is very humble. Now, this particular word is only used 20 times in the Old Testament. It's used 11 times in Psalms. And we have called attention to this if you're in Psalms class on Tuesday night some. It's often used to describe the weak and the broken, the people who have no hope. But in God, um, it is used several times 
the first time was actually 9.18, and then it's used in 10, Psalm 10, verse 9, and 22.26. I'm not going to give all the references, but 11 times it's used in the book of Psalms. And it deals with, the, it's sometimes translated poor, it's sometimes translated afflicted, here it is translated humble, but it refers to people generally who are beaten and broken down, who find their only hope in God. And Moses is an example of that. He showed it in the last chapter. When other people began to prophesy, he said, let them prophesy. What did all God's people were prophets? Well, God calls Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. He calls them out to him. And then he called Aaron and Miriam. Notice the order there in verse 5. Aaron first, Miriam second. This is just the way it's mentioned in the text. Different than verse 1. They complain. The Lord's spoken to us as well. Well, He's going to speak to them. And I don't imagine they're looking forward to this after they recognize what's going on. And He says, with regular prophets, the Lord speaks by dreams, and visions. That seems to be his normal means of communication as stated in this passage. Now, that doesn't mean every dream was a message from God. Jeremiah will talk about that in Jeremiah 23 where he said, if you have a dream, relate your dream. This is around verse 28. If you have a dream, relate your dream, but don't mistake it for the word of the Lord. God revealed Himself to them in dreams and visions. How did they know between a dream that was just a dream and one that was a revelation from God? I'm not sure. But God apparently made that clear. But but to normal prophets, I speak by a vision, I speak by a dream, but not so with my servant Moses. Moses is called my servant both in verse 7 and in verse 8. Moses, my servant. Not so with him. But he is faithful in all my house. And with him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. I speak to him mouth to mouth. Now, there are two other passages in the first five books in the Torah where he says he speaks to Moses face to face. Exodus 33, verse 11. Deuteronomy 34, verse 10. He spoke to Moses face to face, mouth to mouth. He spoke to him in a much clearer way than he spoke to other prophets. With these, he speaks with dreams and visions. With Moses, he speaks mouth to mouth and not in dark saints. Now, What does it mean he beheld the form of the Lord? Whatever it means. It doesn't mean he saw the Lord in all his glory. Because right after the Lord is speaking to Moses face to face in Exodus 33. He prays in Exodus 33 beginning with verse 18. Show me your glory. And God says to Moses, no man can see my glory and live. No man can see me in my face and live. 
I will take you to a cleft of the rock. I'll cover you with a hand. I'll make all my glory pass in front of you, and you shall behold the act, the glow, the afterglow of the Lord. Uh, there's a question how best to translate this, but the after effects of the Lord. But you can't see my face and live. We cannot behold God in all His glory and live through the process. Even Moses specifically can't. But Moses has a unique relationship with God. Who are you to question Him in this respect? I've revealed myself to Him and told Him to speak to you. One of these passages, Deuteronomy 34.10, it says, Since Moses, there has not arisen another prophet to whom the Lord has spoken face to face. There's not been another prophet like Moses. Remember Moses prophesied that the Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me. Who was the fulfillment of those words? Jesus ultimately was. There was a line of prophets in, in the Old Testament, but Jesus ultimately was the prophet like Moses. Jesus is <clears throat> Jesus is the prophet par excellence. Um, and Moses was in the Old Testament. Moses, God says, will raise up a prophet like me from among the people at the end of Deuteronomy. The Bible says there hasn't arisen a prophet like that, but that passage is quoted in Acts 3, 22 and 23 and applied to Jesus. Jesus is the prophet like Moses to whom you listen in everything and the one who doesn't listen is going to be cut off from among the people. Um, Moses in a lot of ways foreshadows Jesus. The Bible says God spoke to him mouth to mouth and face to face. And remember in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was was face to face with God and and He was God come in the flesh. He... Jesus is a greater prophet than Moses. Moses was faithful, as verse 7 says, in all his house. Hebrews 3, verses 1 through 6, Jesus was a son over his house. Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. As great as Moses was, Jesus is greater. Moses is only a dim picture of who Jesus would be. Um, what else do you see there? What else do you have questions about? I was going to mention also this verse. Micah 6, verses 4 and 5. There God is listing some things He's done for Israel, and He talks about how He's provided spiritual leadership for them. He's given you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. So Aaron and Miriam were part of that spiritual leadership that that is a blessing to the people. But here they are becoming jealous of Moses and they are contending with him. Yes? You wonder just how many facets of their growing up was filled with jealousy. You know, he's the younger brother. He got to live with Pharaoh's daughter and he was treated um, differently Mm -hmm. 
I don't know, you know, all the different aspects, but surely, you know, yeah. your younger brother got to go and do all of that. And I can imagine Miriam saying, just just imagine, you know, that you wouldn't be alive if I wasn't following you looking around at you after that basket. You know, so so she would probably be appealing to things like that. And uh, but yes, it may well have been. It may well have been. But Moses all his career is gonna be rejected like that, isn't he? Remember in Acts seven, Acts seven is a powerful sermon. I, you know, my, my, my dream is one day a board that covers the whole room that I can just go around writing all day. But Acts 7, the point is the Jewish people have always rejected the deliverers that God has sent. One day Moses goes out to separate two Hebrews fighting. And one who was in the wrong says, are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Who made you ruler over us? Well, later verse 35 says God made him ruler over us. But they rejected him not only then, but they rejected him at at, uh, Mount Sinai. This is Acts 7, verses 39 through 41. As for this Moses uh, who led us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. All through Moses' career, he was rejected by the people. That is pictured as foreshadowing the rejection of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus. But Moses is even rejected at points by those closest to him. So, let's see how the chapter ends. Verse 9. The anger of the Lord burned against them. Same phrase in verse 33. Anger of the Lord burned against them and He departed. But when the cloud withdrew from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, white as snow, and Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. Now, we mentioned when we were in Leviticus 13 and 14, No, know it's been a good while, leprosy may have encompassed a whole lot more than we think of when we think of that disease, but apparently her, her skin was all white, probably referring not so much to color as to refer to her flakiness of this. It's, it's, it's like snow, uh, it says. And in verse 11, it says, Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, I beg you, do not account this sin to us in which we have acted foolishly, in which we have sinned. Do not let her be like one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. And Moses cried out to the Lord saying, O God, heal her, I pray. Now this is another instance of Moses and Aaron seeing, or Aaron and Miriam seeing Moses' leadership. When Miriam is struck, Aaron doesn't even attempt to intercede for her here. Turns to Moses and says, Moses, please don't let this happen. In effect saying, please intercede for her. And Moses does pray for her and the Lord heals her. The Lord, how many ways does the Lord show that He has spoken through Moses? That Moses is not taking this role upon himself. That this is a role that God has given him. He intercedes for them and God answers his prayer. Now is it ever specifically said right here that God answered their prayer? It's not specifically said. But how do we know that's the case? She's received back into the camp after seven days. Yeah. After you after you were clean from leprosy, after seven days you're received back in the camp. If you had leprosy, you wouldn't have been in a camp. Numbers 5, 1 through 4 showed that. 
And, and so the fact she's received back in shows apparently she was healed instantly. And in verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not bear shame, bear her shame for seven days? Let her shut let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp, and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on until Miriam was received again. Afterward, however, the people moved out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. If her father had spit in her face, she would be unclean seven days. God, in sending leprosy, her heavenly father, was in a sense punishing her for her wrong. And should the penalty be even any less than if she had been treated in this way by her earthly father? We don't see of any specific cases in the law where a father spit in the face of a daughter. We don't see a law dealing with that or a reason for it or nothing. We do find a case where a woman spit in a man, which we discussed recently, Deuteronomy 25 in verse 9 deals with that. But Miriam's leprosy, not Aaron's, seems to show she led in this crime. But I think that they do learn from this. It seems like they do because they are not... They are always aligning with Moses afterwards. Any questions you have? Any ideas right there? Um, Sarah? In, in verse 4, we were talking about, you know, who's the leader kind of thing. In this, you know, in this translation, it's suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam. And so that parallelism puts her in a separate class from the other two. And so that I don't know if that's also like a indication that she's going to get somewhat different treatment than <laughs> others are. Yes. But just another yes. linguistic critter. Yes, there are several little things in the text that indicate that she is the one that, um, that instigates the charge. Um, but think about how many ways that Jesus fulfills the picture of Moses. Jesus was a prophet like Moses was put on the board from Acts 3. Jesus was meek and humble in heart. Matthew eleven twenty one. Moses Moses' humility is described. He doesn't reply to his accusers. Jesus is in the same setting, isn't he? He doesn't reply to his accusers. But Jesus had a closer relationship with God and as we said in Hebrews 3, 1 through 6, He is a son over the house and not a servant in the house. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Lord willing, we'll try to go over as much in Numbers 13 and 14 as we can on Sunday. But this is why, what we'll study Sunday is why they spent, Lord willing, what they spent 40 years in the wilderness calls of their saying the the faith the faithless spies bringing back a bad report thank you